0: Well, again, it is a, it's a joy that we can be together here this morning, and I hope you understand today is a day unlike any other, that we're able to be here because of something that actually happened, right? I mean, if, if Jesus didn't die on the cross and come back to life, then it would really be a meaningless exercise for us to gather together. But we believe that he rose from the grave and accomplished something, And it's that something that he accomplished that I want to talk about today. I love taking the opportunity to look in the scriptures and see the the history unpacked for us and the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. But also, I think it helps to step back and understand more of the the narrative, not not just the narrative, but the, the meaning behind the narrative of Christ's death and his resurrection. And so this morning, we're going to take a, a look at a passage from uh, Luke chapter 15. And Luke, uh, In Luke 15, there's a story that's told uh, of a man who had two sons. And this is actually the third of three stories that Jesus is telling to uh, a number of religious leaders, people who had uh, made it a, a business of their life, a, a much like myself, actually, someone who's, who's made to be a pastor and who gets so focused on the, the meaning of what they've been called to do that they become passionate about the, the values and the traditions of that religion. The problem is, at some point, they lost track of why those traditions and those values were there in the first place. And so Jesus finds himself in a place where one of those religious leaders had invited him over for lunch. And as he gets there to lunch, the Pharisee, the religious leader, has an issue with the fact that Jesus is actually willing to spend time having a meal with those who are, the Bible says, sinners and tax collectors. Basically people that religious leaders would have considered unclean. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be caught dead spending time with these people. If they, if they spend time with them, what would it say about themselves as, as religious leaders? And so these religious leaders are grumbling. They're saying, who is this man? What does he think he is, spending time with these people? And so Jesus begins to tell these, these stories, these three stories. Uh, the first story is about a, a shepherd who has a lost sheep. We looked at that story two weeks ago. Uh, the second story is about a, a woman who has a bag of silver coins and she loses one. And, and she, she upends her entire house looking for that one coin. And this week, we're looking at the story uh, of a man who had two sons. Now, what I hope that we walk away from uh, this Easter 2021 is not this abstract idea of God entering into humanity— but a practical understanding of God entering into humanity, dying on the cross, and coming back to life for one purpose, to seek and to save that which is lost. And that, that purpose, I would say, is the greatest expression of God's love, not just for this world, but I want you to consider as we talk about this passage that it's God's greatest expression of his love for you and for me. Don't think in terms of the group of us here. Think of this in terms of God's love for you this morning. And so the question I want you just to kind of sit with as we, as we open our time is, 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 how do you measure love? Right? Like I could step on a scale and measure how much I weigh. I'm not going to do that right now. I, I could, I could, no, <laughs> who said, come on, I, I could, I could get a tape measure and see how tall I am, right? Every semester kids get grades sent home, right kids? You know, I'm sure they're all excellent grades too. You measure how you're doing and progressing along in school. I see you, Ryan, right? But there's ways that we can measure love. How do you measure love? It, Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So I think the, the magnitude of, of, of which we are able to measure the, the love of God is in considering the distance by which God came to rescue me, to, to rescue you, to, to, to not just rescue us, but to, to draw us near to him, that we might see him face to face and experience his love. Tell me, have you ever been to a, a conference, or maybe it's a, a wedding, where, where they ask you, okay, so who traveled the farthest? 100 miles? 200 miles? 500 miles? Or, or the wedding where they're saying, who's been married the longest? If you've been married 15 years, stay on the dance floor. If you've been married 20 years, stay on the dance floor. It's that kind of idea, how far have you come? H- how far have you come? And, and, and I want us to understand that what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus wins that competition hands down every time, that he traveled the farthest, that he sacrificed the most, all that we might know and experience the greatness, the magnitude of God's love. It's not just about the sacrifice that that Jesus made on the cross, but the distance that God went to love lost people not just to rescue lost people, to love lost people. It's the sacrifice of Jesus' will which leads to his obedience and his death. There, there's a humiliation of God in the crucifixion. There's, there's a sacrifice of his, uh, of his ego, of his, of his pride. Not that God is prideful, but there's a sense that, that, that our protection of what other people think of us and who we are, uh, Jesus is laying that down out of love for others. There's a sacrifice in the Father's love. Understand that God has gone to great lengths to love us, to love me, to love you, to love those who you love in your family. The the, the very people that Jesus was being ridiculed because he spent time with at lunch, those are the people that God wants to hear, I love you. And so he sent his son So I I hope we can put a pin in Easter 2021 as a year where we will gain a clearer understanding of the hugeness of God's love, not not for the world, although that's true, but for you and for me. Now, the, the passage in... Luke 15, as I mentioned, is a story about these religious leaders who, who have been uh, giving Jesus a very hard time and, and kind of judging him, condescending toward him, kind of saying, who are you to do this? Like, what do you, what do you think? You're, you're, you're smearing our whole religion. I think already we can relate to this story. We can relate to the story that Jesus is telling because we're, we're both sides of this story. Right? We're, we're either repelled by people who don't live life like we do. They have different lifestyles. They, they have different beliefs. We, we feel uncomfortable around them. We, we kind of like to hold them at arm's length. We, we, we make some judgments about their life based on the fact that, that they don't believe all the same things that we do or look the same way or sound like we do. Right, we, in many ways, we're, we're like these religious leaders. right? Or, or we feel like we feel like the tax collectors and sinners, right? We, we feel like we're being judged and, and cast aside. We feel like we're not valuable enough for Jesus to spend time with us. We feel like we're gonna walk into a room and those, those religious leaders are gonna point their fingers at us and, and make us feel unworthy. I mean, you, we can all relate to this story, I think. And so Jesus's point though wasn't to highlight the sin of these tax collectors and sinners. I'm not even sure it was necessarily to highlight the sin of these religious leaders and their judgmentalism. I think Jesus' point was to highlight the magnitude of God's love. So I think the, the stories are meant for us to understand that God loves the world. But on a, on a, a, a a ground-level understanding of that. He loves individual people. He loves those whose hearts have wandered from him. So Jesus tells these stories with an emphasis. And as we think about the story of, uh, of a man who had two sons, we think about this love that God has for us. The story goes, I'll back up, because uh, I didn't read it for us already, but the story goes that this man had two sons and, and, and the younger of the two sons comes to the father and says, you know what, dad, I want my inheritance and I, I want it now. And so the father loves his son and, and, and agrees to give him his portion of the inheritance. Now, uh, the younger son would have deserved a third of, his, of the, the family's inheritance and so the father gives him that land. The, the son, from what we know, he somehow converts it over into cash, takes that money, and goes off to a, a far-off, distant land. And then he squanders it. The Bible tells us he squanders it on reckless living. And, and, and in the midst of spending it on reckless living, a famine covers the land. And so not only is this man now out of money, this younger son out of money, but there's also fewer resources in the world. And so what this younger son has to do is he takes a job in this foreign land. As, as one of the people of God, he, he takes this land, uh, this job to, to care for some pigs. Now for uh, people of Israel to care for pigs is a humiliating task. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like the lowest rung on the social ladder for them. Because according to their religion, pigs were detestable. They weren't supposed to touch or be near the pigs. And so this young man is humbled in that and he's broken. And so he, he gets to this point where he realizes, you know what, even, even my dad's servants, his hired servants live better than, than I do. And so I'm just going to go back to him and beg for him to make me one of his hired servants. So at least I have provision. If I don't, I'm going to die. And we'll get to this more later, but what happens is a beautiful expression of the Father's love. Now, the love of God really is an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing. But I think what we struggle with is not... I think what we struggle with is actually grasping what it means to be loved by God, to be the object of his affection, I think it's easy to listen to the lives of the world that say, you're not good enough, you don't, you don't look good enough, you're not looking right, you're not, you're not healthy enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you, you're not successful enough, right? Our, our world thinks in, in the economy of, of power and success and popularity and, and appearances. It's easy to believe that, that if we measure ourselves according to this world standards, we don't measure up but that's not what God invites us to do. See, it's easy to consider why the man's son in our story would, would think, make a plan, say, when I go back to my father, I'm gonna say, father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. So how about you make me one of your hired servants? We, we can relate to that, right? I mean, we're, we're our own worst critics. We, could, we see the flaws more than anyone else does. In fact, we see the flaws and we think everyone else does, but they don't really, right? So I think as we think of the story of the prodigal son, it's my hope that you will see that God's love for us doesn't depend on whether or not we understand his love. We may struggle to grasp it, but it doesn't mean he loves us less. It doesn't depend on whether or not you feel his love. There are many of us whose emotions go uh, up and down day to day, moment by moment. Sometimes we feel very loved. Other times we really, we struggle to know that we're loved. But God's love doesn't depend on whether or not we feel his love. And it doesn't even depend on whether or not we believe that God actually loves us. Like, I can stand up here until I'm blue in the face, and maybe I will if it gets colder, but, but you don't have to believe what I say up here just because I'm saying it and I've got the microphone. God's love for us is personal. And, and whether we believe it or not, it's an objective reality. It's an eternal, objective, tangible, and unchanging truth that is eternally true, whether you believe it or not. Think about that for a moment. We may struggle to embrace and understand God's love for us, but it doesn't make it any less true. And it doesn't make it any less of a gift that's meant for you to receive. And though it's true that God's love does not depend on us to exist, we're not gonna come to know that love until, uh, until we notice the magnitude of his love, the distance that he's traveled for you and for me. You know, it's, a, it, it, it's something that we relate to when we think about the young man's story. When we think about the fact that he desired his father's inheritance, he, he desired something that, that felt good, that looked good, that, that, that made it enjoyable to live this life. And, and so he takes that money, heads off to a distant land. But what he finds when he gets there is it's not exactly what he thought it would be. It it doesn't bring the satisfaction that he thought it would bring. I think we we probably relate to being in that far-off, distant land. Could you could you think of a time when maybe you've been in a, a foreign place and you don't really you don't get it. You don't get the, the lay of the land around you. You're not really sure how to get to the place that you need to be, whether you, you know, you're traveling uh, abroad and you've got to find where your hotel is or whatever. It, it's, it's a little unnerving being in a far off distant land, in a place that's unfamiliar to you. Can, can you think of a time when you were in a strange and distant land? I, I can. I certainly can. It's a place that, that is confusing and, and, and even feels a little bit dangerous because it's confusing, right? I can think of a time when, when, I, when I was in this place that the young natives are running around in packs for seemingly no good reason, right? The space is filled with loud noises and it's crowded with speeding human traffic. And, and yet in all of this, there's this strangely comforting smell of Cinnabon, Right? This trip to the mall where where you're lost, you're confused, you're scared, there's things going on all around you and yet somehow you're calm because you smell that that familiar smell. Now, uh, unless you're there for exercise or to hang out with your friends, you're there for a reason. There's something that you intend to get when you go to the mall. I mean, most of us go there to shop, some of us go there for uh, exercising, and, and as I mentioned, some of us are there just to, to see our friends, but, but if you're there to find something, if you're there to buy something, then when you get to the mall, you walk in, say it's Foot Locker, and we think, okay, how am I going to get to Foot Locker? Well, the first step along the way is to stop at the mall kiosk, right? And, and you look up on, under clothing and apparel, and there's, there's Foot Locker to A7 or whatever, And you look on the map, okay, there's A7. But none of that is any good to you unless you know where you are when you came into the mall. And then that's when that little red dot becomes so helpful. The you are here dot, right? And and when you look at that dot, you realize not only where you are, but where you want to be. You want to be at Foot Locker. You want to get those new shoes. Actually, maybe you want to go to Cinnabon. Maybe that's really where you want to go. Maybe you go in thinking you're going to Foot Locker, but then you're like, no, that smells too good. I'm going to Cinnabon, right? Either way, you can't get to your destination unless you know where you are. And you realize how far you are from your destination. What I want us to think about this morning in the story of the younger son found in Luke 15, it's necessary for him to realize the distance that has been created between himself and his father. Only when he took the time to to realize where he had come to and how far away he was from his father could he begin to understand not only how he wasn't where he wanted to be, but where he actually needed to be. And so the younger son comes to this pivotal point in the story where he realizes that his, through his life and his painful circumstances that he's not where he wants to be. And in this moment of, of almost coming awake and coming to himself, he realizes how far he actually is away from the love that he longs for in the depth of his soul. And what I want us to consider is that the distance that spans between the son and his father, it, it's not measured in miles. It, it, it's measured in the many selfish decisions this younger son made. Dad, I want my inheritance. I want it now. I don't care how it makes you look, Dad. I I want this money. Uh, My family doesn't mean anything to me. What means something to me is I have uh, the the inheritance that I want so I can go off and do what I want. The distance grows. And then he squanders his living, the distance grows more. And in that place of desperation, he, he, he wakes up I mean, the scriptures say he comes to himself. And that idea of, of, of actually not just like, like a light bulb going off in his mind, but a light bulb going off in his heart. That his life is not where it needs to be. And, and he doesn't want to keep going in this direction. And so he turns. So he wakes up. See, I think the distance that's measured between the father and son is there because of the decisions we make. And what that means is that the distance that exists between us and the love of God is not because God the Father has rejected us, but because we've rejected him. What you need to know this morning is that God is not a God of rejection, but love. And he's willing to go to great lengths to bring you home to be with him. He was the younger son who demanded for his inheritance. It was the younger son that that walked away from his father. The father doesn't walk away from him in our story. He walks away from the father. So unless we understand where the red dot representing our life is on our own life map, we won't begin to understand where we need to be. Do Do you think about that? You have a life map. There's, there's a map in your heart and in your mind of the life that God has led you through, the life that you've lived. And there are times where you've made decisions where you've walked away from God. We've all done it. And not until we take the time to consider those decisions we've made, the, the places we've been, the things we've done, and understand where we are in relation to the Father will we begin to understand the shape of God's love for us, the magnitude of how great he loves us. We're told in Luke fifteen thirteen uh, that not many days later, after the son had asked for his inheritance, the younger son gathered up all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And then after he had wasted his, his living on, on, on needless things, on reckless living, Our Bibles say he began to be in need. There was this need that he felt, that he saw, that he experienced. He began to to feel something different. All of a sudden, those things that brought him comfort no longer brought him comfort. The things he found security in no longer were available to provide the security he needed. And, And in this place of need, God speaks. So this is the point where you go to the map. You see where the father is, and you see where that red dot is, and you begin to feel that distance. You realize that the Cinnabon is on the exact opposite side of the mall from you, and you've got to weave yourself through some serious traffic to get there and to achieve what you really want and hunger for. I think in this place of pain, the younger son can't help but think about his father He wakes up to think about who the Father is. He he thinks about how the Father treats his hired servants. He thinks about all that the Father has, and he realizes, in comparison, he is nowhere near where he wants to be. It's a pain, a pain that leads to change. C.S. Lewis is a a theologian, and he once wrote Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures he speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Can you relate to that? Like, as you think about the different things in your life, when everything's going well, God isn't someone we necessarily think about, right? He's not at the forefront of our mind. But when we're in a place of desperation, of deep pain, we long to hear the Father's voice. We long to be reminded of the promises he's made to us in scripture. We, we We long to hear from God, and he speaks. In Luke 15, verses 17 to 19, we read, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. See, as the younger son looked at the map of his life, he made some realizations. In his place of great loneliness and desperation, he remembers his father. He remembers his father's care. He realized that unless something changed, he was gonna die. And change is good, right? Dr. Henry Cloud writes that we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing, right? The the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Only then will we really move to that place where we're willing to make change. No one really, well, I shouldn't say no one, not many of us, very few of us enjoy change, right? We We resist it. And we resist it until the pain of staying the same the way we are right now is worse than going through the pain of becoming who God wants us to be. What I want us to understand this morning is that the change that God accomplishes in our lives, when we we turn to him, when we return to him, when we go through what the Bible uh, talks about, what what we talk about in Christian circles as repentance, that God transforms us. And that change is good. Good. It's a God-directed, God-owned process where he makes us new. And that renewal process is not just like giving us a fresh start. It's renewing us in his love, giving us a greater confidence for who he's made us to be. See, when we come to ourselves and turn to God for help, we realize God can can do so much better job with my life than I ever could. That he can accomplish amazing things. But but don't miss this. The change that the younger son, uh, the change for the younger son, doesn't happen when he chooses to turn back to the father. The change happens when the father pursues him. Listen to verse twenty to twenty four in our passage. We're told that the son arose and came towards to his father, but. While the father, while he was still a long way off, the father, in this socially humiliating way, ran to him, embraced him, clothed him with a robe and a ring, and put sandals on his bare feet. See, though the son stopped loving the father, the father never stopped loving his son. In fact, he watched and waited for the father's return. Now, we would do almost anything for someone we love, right? Uh, One time my son was dressed up as a banana for Halloween and they had a a parade at his school. And so uh, I dressed up in a gorilla suit, right? That's what gorillas do, they love bananas. And I have to tell you something, this is not like me. I mean, some of you may disagree, but I am terrified about doing something like that in public. I was literally like almost ready to throw up in my gorilla suit. But you do crazy things for the people you love. A father who had some sort of uh, social status that was up here was willing to just cast it all aside and sprint down the road to meet his son on the way. He didn't care what other people thought. His love for his son was at the forefront of his thoughts. Today we're, we're wrapping up a series called The Pursuit. And it's all about how God pursues us how he he runs to us, how he embraces us, how he kisses us, how he he clothes us and restores us to his family and the joyous celebration that happens as a result. See, I think in the story that Jesus tells, it's not the son's return that restores the relationship. It's the father running joyously down the road toward his son, It's the father's joy and acceptance of his son that honorably restores him to the family. Do you understand that? God loves you, travels across eternity to be with you, and to make a way to restore you, not shamefully, but honorably to his family. To claim you as one of his children again. To welcome you back. Do you remember that red dot on the map? Many of us, are sitting here this morning, we're thinking, I'm on the opposite side of the mall. Or maybe, maybe I'm like, I'm halfway there. But I realize that where I am and where I want to be is, is, not, is not what it should be, what I want it to be. To be in that place of being embraced with the love and care and protection of God's love. So here's, here's the good news for us this morning. Here's what it means that Jesus came to this earth died on the cross and rose from the grave. This is why it matters that we believe that Jesus rose from the grave in bodily form and defeated death. Because the good news for us this morning is that God offers us curbside pickup. Right? Curbside pickup has become a new thing. Well, not a new thing, but it's a very common thing this year, right? where you can stay in your car and they'll bring the product to you. God offers us curbside pickup. He brings his love and forgiveness to you through his son, Jesus. The most important distance covered in the story is not the younger son's travel to a far off distant land or even his return back to his father that might be measured in miles. The the most great distance that was traveled in our story is the father's journey toward his son. God's love is so great that he left heaven, crossed eternity, took on the form of humanity, and died on the cross to purchase our lives from a broken world that's controlled by sin. What I want us to know is that this is grace. This is God's grace for all of us. It's this undeserved favor of God. We don't deserve free curbside pickup, but God gives it to us anyway so I want to invite you, let, let Jesus come near to your life this morning. Let him embrace you, clothe you, and celebrate you. Let him cover you in his righteousness, pour out his love into your life. There's, there are many of us who have been going to church for a long time and have not reached this point of letting God embrace us through his son. Let Jesus, embrace your heart. Let him have control. Let him clothe you with what he wants to and needs to clothe you with, his righteousness. This is what we give thanks for on Easter. This is what we celebrate. See, God's been waiting on the the front porch of heaven for us to return. And while we're still a long way off, he sent us his son. One of my favorite verses of the Bible is Romans 5, 8. That says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while, while we were yet a long distance off, Christ came and died for us. He rescues us and redeems us and brings us home and restores us honorably to the father's family. There's no greater love in this world than the love that God has for you in sending, us, in sending the world his son. Consider the map of your life. Be, because because of Jesus we no longer need to measure the distance between us and God's love in in choices we've made or 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 shameful thoughts we have of ourselves or thinking that we're not worthy. We no longer think of the distance between us and God measured in our sin. The chasm between us and God is not a chasm there because of our sin. The distance between us and God is measured in the magnitude of Christ's sacrifice because that's how we measure the love of God for us. Something different we've been doing here in 2021 is leaving space at the end of our time in the scriptures just to to think on what God has been saying and doing. The, The spirit of God working in our hearts through the word. And we're going to do that this morning. If you're not familiar with that, it's, we're going to do it a little bit differently this morning. We're going to allow a, a, a song uh, led by the worship team to be that space where we are invited to think on what God has done, the magnitude of his love for you. In a moment, the worship team will come perform a song called King of Kings for us. and It's my invitation to you that you take this time. Think on God's love for you. Consider that it's not some theoretical love, It's not some abstract love. It's a personal love that God has sent to us through his son, Jesus. Yes, God loves the world, but that means he has to love you personally first before he can love us corporately as a world. Don't leave here without letting that truth sink in. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you that your love is measurable. I pray for the eyes and ears and hearts to see and know and understand how great you love us, that you desire us not to go through life alone, but that we would walk this life with you, that we would, that we would be reunited with you and live amongst you and your family as one of your children who you love and care for and, and provide for and protect Lord, help us to know more specifically the shape of your love because of the greatness of your pursuit of your lost children. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.